Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Joshua chapter 24. We've actually come to the end of our journey through the, uh, the book of Joshua, our Journey of Faith series. Today's message is called Make Up Your Mind. I can recall back in my college days, I think it was uh, 1984 to be more precise, when the wildly popular and utterly hilarious movie Ghostbusters was released. And among the many, many memorable lines in this film, the, uh, the movie Ghostbusters also made famous the phrase, who are you going to call? Well, long before Ghostbusters, long before who are you going to call, way, way back when, there was this guy named Joshua and the, uh, the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. And really, the catchphrase there was, who are you going to serve? And of course, with Joshua, it was God and nobody else. In fact, that's really the big idea behind the message this morning is, who are you going to serve? Well, according to Joshua, it should be God and no thing or no one else. These were pretty exciting times for the Israelites. They had defeated their enemies. They had claimed the promised land. Each of the tribes had received their inheritance. And now they could kind of just settle into a slower pace of life. It was a time of hope and prosperity and blessings, but also, in a very real sense, it was a time of danger, spiritual danger for these people. I mean, there, there was a danger that they would forget how they'd gotten there, you know, where they'd come from, everything that the Lord had, did for them along, had done for them along the way. Uh, there was the danger of uh, maybe adopting the idolatrous religion of the Canaanites that still lived around them, there was a danger they might just become complacent and might let their guard down a little bit. But you see, in the midst of this situation, Joshua stands up to deliver uh, to the people this, this rousing challenge from the Lord. It's his farewell speech. Um, but uh, that challenge is simply this, that God wants them to dedicate themselves to Him and to His work. Because God doesn't want any willy-nilly, wimpy, milk-toast effort to live for God on one hand and the gods of Canaan on the other hand. God wants wholehearted dedication or nothing. And that's the crystal clear message of the uh, passage today. But you know what? These... Uh, these spiritually dangerous times for the Israelites, yeah, that wasn't just for them. Because the exact same spiritual dangers exist today and the here and now for the church in America. The danger of forgetting God. The danger of becoming complacent. The danger of letting other gods creep in. In fact, today we're seeing more and more signs that our churches are becoming like that church in Laodicea that Jesus spoke to in, in Revelation chapter 3, in verse uh, 14 through 22. He says in verse 16, Because you are neither uh, hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the verb there in the Greek is emeo. It literally means vomit. 
I mean, you know, Ralph, Hurl, Pew, you get the idea. It means vomit. So Jesus issued a call to these people in Laodicea. Joshua issued a call to the people in, in uh, the Promised Land. And God is issuing the same call to us today. And that call is pretty simple. Make up your mind. In Joshua's farewell address to the Israelites, we see three key things, all right? First of all, he calls the Israelites to, number one, a time of contemplation. A time of contemplation. Now, he does this because he wants them to remember who they are, where they came from, what the Lord had done for them all along the way. And that's pretty sound advice for us, folks. It would do us good to think back on those same things in our lives where God has brought us from, what he's done for us. So the first half of chapter 24, verses 1 through 13, it's really kind of a, a, a summary of salvation history. Now, we're not going to read all 13 verses because that's a you know, pretty lengthy passage. But uh, really, he's given them a summary of salvation history from the calling of Abraham to Isaac uh, to Jacob to Moses and Aaron uh, God, speaking through Joshua, reminded them how he rescued them from bondage in Egypt, how he thwarted Pharaoh's army. He reminded them of how God had provided for them in those long wilderness years as he guided them, defeating the Amorites in the process and, and thwarting the schemes of Balak, the, the king of Moab. And he reminded them of, of crossing the Jordan. He reminded them of the victory he granted them over Jericho. Not just Jericho, but all the people of Canaan. So in short, this was a, a summary of the many ways that God had blessed them and saved them. Now, I think it's interesting to note as you're reading these first 13 verses in chapter 24, to note the number of occurrences of the word I. Remember, this is God speaking here. 17 times you see the word I. 17 times God reminds them that I sent, I gave, I brought, I rescued. So it was a vivid reminder of not only all the things God had done for them, but it was kind of a memory jog to say, hey, you need to remember, you didn't do this. I did this for you. Now, I want us to dig into that thought just a little bit more deeply this morning. In this call to contemplation, uh, Joshua is really asking them to, to focus on three specific things here. First one, he's asking them to contemplate God's power in their lives. They're reminded of God's choice of Israel, his call of them to be his people, how he redeemed them, how he rescued them from Egypt, and how he manifested his power and glory on their behalf over and over again. And they're reminded of the victories they've enjoyed and the blessings that are theirs because of the Lord's work in their lives. Folks, there's a lesson to be learned there because we also need to contemplate everything that the Lord has done for us. Christian, you need to remember where the Lord found you how he found you, what he did for you, how far he's brought you, how he has blessed you, how he has worked on your behalf time and time again, how he has answered prayers, how he has fulfilled needs. We all need that call to remember God's power in our lives. So Joshua's calling the people to contemplate God's power. He's also calling them to contemplate God's 
presence in their lives. They're reminded that God has constantly been with them in everything they faced. He was always there to help them, to see them through. And of course, we need to remember that, that since the day we were saved by grace, that God has always been with us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us, just as he promised in Hebrews 13, 5. You know, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So remember his presence in your life. The Lord your God is with you, as the prophet Zephaniah would write in Zephaniah 3. Joshua is calling the people to contemplate God's power in their lives, God's presence in their lives, but also to contemplate God's provision in their lives. Look at verse 13. He says, I gave you a land that you did not labor for, and cities you did not build. Though you live in them, you are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. So now they're reminded of not just the blessings they've enjoyed, but blessings they didn't earn. Blessings they didn't deserve. But you see, that just paints a, a wonderful picture of how they were lavished with God's grace. Recipients of, of wonderful blessing. More than they could have ever possibly imagined. And the application for us is that we need to contemplate the fact that we have so much today. I'm reminded of what Paul said to the church at Ephesus, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Blessings that we don't deserve. And yet God has chosen to lavish those things on us. We're saved. We're secure. We're headed to a heavenly home. We're hell-proofed and then we're in the body of Christ. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We live in God's presence all the time because of that. So we are the recipients of more grace than anyone can understand or even possibly imagine. God has been so very good to us. Well, in light of those truths, I can't help but wonder why so many of God's children seem to have such a hard time just simply loving and serving Him as they should. We need to contemplate God's provision for us once more. Remember where He found us. Remember everything that He's done for us. As the hymn we sang just a minute ago says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So Joshua begins his remarks in chapter 24 by calling the Israelites to a time of contemplation. Next thing he does is he calls them to number two, a time of confrontation. Time of confrontation. Look at verses 14 and 15. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Joshua confronts the Israelites in three ways. First of all, he confronts them with a command. In fact, that command to the people is actually threefold as well. They're commanded to fear God, 
to put away all other gods, but then they were to serve the Lord. And that would place them in a position to really put God back in his rightful position in the center of their lives, their highest priority. Now, and again, these commands that God's people need to take heed of today, that's, that's something for us. Because like the Israelites, we need to learn to fear God. Now, the Hebrew verb there is yare, and, and if you're a grammar nerd, uh, it's in the imperative mood, which basically means it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Yare means to regard with feelings of respect or reverence, to, to hallow, to exalt, to be in awe of. So the command is to hold God in reverential awe. And why not? He deserves to be respected. He deserves to be revered and loved by those that he has redeemed. So fear God. Put away all other gods. Now, surely believers today uh, don't need warnings about idolatry. Or do we? You know, all those things in our lives that have come ahead of the Lord that we've made a greater priority than him. Yeah, those are things that need to go bye-bye. Because anything that's more important to you than God, that is your God. That's an idol that you worship. You know, we often profess that God's number one. You know, when, uh, when imitation time comes and we sing, wherever he leads, I'll go, or I'll surrender all, man, we sing it with gusto. But can we really sing it honestly? See, the reality is, is it's not too hard to figure out where a person's true priorities are. I mean, for many of us, you know, time and money are probably the best gauges to uh, determine whether or not our, our loyalties are true or what our loyalties really are to. I mean, look at your bank statement. See how your money's spent. I and mean, what do you spend the most on? The things that you spend most of your money on, that might very well be your God. Or what about your time? How are you spending your time? Are you devoting your time mostly to what really matters the most? Or are you devoting most of your time to trivial pursuits? Because the one thing that you spend most of your time on, that might very likely be your God. So he says to put away other gods. And then, number three, serve the Lord with sincerity. Now, it's interesting in some of the modern translations, in fact, earlier I was reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, it actually translates it as worship. But the Hebrew word there for, for serve, it's abad. Abad means to fulfill the role of a bond servant or a slave. You see, we belong to the Lord Jesus. We are his possession. And we should live our lives as such. Uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. You know what that price is? It's the shed blood of Jesus that was poured out for you and me. But because we are His, because we belong to Him, Paul says we are to glorify Him. Of course, one of the ways that we glorify Him is by serving Him. Now, do we serve the Lord begrudgingly? You know, like we've been coerced into it? No. I mean, we shouldn't. 
That word sincerity, it means wholeheartedly, completely, with integrity. See, God does not want His people to live like a bunch of posers who just kind of go through the motions of loving and worshiping and serving Him. He wants us to be what we claim to be, Christians. Or more to the point, Christians. The word actually means little Christs. We are to live as little Christs. So Joshua confronted the Israelites with a command. He also confronted them with a choice. Look at the first part of verse 15 there. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? Joshua challenged the people, to choose who they would serve, and then to get down to it. As we've been learning in our Monday night class uh, on biblical interpretation, so much of Old Testament history is directed towards a specific people group, the Israelites, of course. And yet, at the same time, from these accounts that we read of the then and there, we often find ourselves discovering truths timeless truths, principles, applications, choices that apply to us in the here and now. Well, guess what? That same choice that was placed before the Israelites in Joshua 24, that's being placed in front of us today, too. Or to put what Joshua is saying into a more contemporary vernacular, he's basically saying, hey, it's about time that people got off the fence and made up their minds whose team they're going to be on. In our studies in Joshua, you might recall Joshua chapter 5, the night before the battle of Jericho. Joshua encounters the angel of the Lord. There in chapter 5 it says, He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. You see, church, the Christian life is not about us demanding that God be on our side. It's about us willingly, even gleefully, choosing to be on His team. It was the same thing with the people Elijah confronted on Mount Carmel in 1 uh, Kings 18. Big showdown between the one true God, Yahweh, and this wimpy imaginary God, Baal. And of course, Elijah is declaring to the people, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. In other words, make up your mind. Church, we can't have both God and the world. I mean, you can't place him in a position below all the other distractions in your life. Either he's in first place, or you have a different God. You know, if, if dad gets that, that tideless gleam in his eye, and so he drops the kids off at church, but then he heads to the golf course, really, is he choosing God above all others? You know, if a, if a mom decides to take her girls on a shopping trip when they had actually signed up to serve in the children's ministry, what kind of God is she presenting to her daughters? You know, if we place our allegiance to a political party above the God of the universe, can we even call ourselves His servants? So Joshua 
confronted the Israelites with a command. And now they're confronted with a choice. And then the third thing they're confronted with is a challenge. Look at the last part of verse 15. Which will you worship? The gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Joshua has set a line of demarcation, or a line in the sand if you prefer. And he clearly states where his loyalties lay. It was very obvious that his intention was to serve God and God alone. So how does Joshua's challenge to them impact us? Well, one thing it does, it reminds us that we need a whole lot more Joshua's in the church today. I mean, we need some men and women who will treasure Jesus Christ, treasure His Word, treasure His will above all else, everything else in life. No casual, part-time, go-through-the-motion, serve-God-when-it's-convenient Christians. We need godly people who will lead others by their example of service. And the, and the church, and I'm, I'm not just talking about Beach Street, I'm talking about all the churches, universal church. We need Christians with a backbone of steel. People who would rather die than let something else come between them and God. Well, the obvious question that you and I are forced to grapple with then is, will I be that someone? Does my life stand as a challenge to others to live godly? Or as an encouragement to others to live godless? Got to be one or the other. There's no in-between Christianity. No halfway Christianity. So, so far we've seen that Joshua began his farewell speech by calling the Israelites to a time of contemplation. Then he called them to a time of confrontation. And now the third thing, Joshua calls them to a time of consecration. Consecration. Now you recall a, a few weeks back when we were in part six of our series in uh, chapter 10, we discussed uh, consecration. Now you might recall how we defined it. You know, in the Israelites' culture, consecration was dedicating someone or something to a specific holy purpose. But I want you to notice here in the text how the people responded. Look at uh, verse 16. Here in verse 16 we see the resolve of the people. This is verse 16. They said, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our ancestors out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will worship the Lord because He is our God. So the people considered that all, all the Lord that had done for them and in light of that, they declared their allegiance to Him and to Him alone. And in fact, they seemed almost incredulous when it was suggested that they might actually choose to serve other gods. Certainly not, they replied. So we see the resolve of the people. But then in verses 19 through 23, we see the reminder for 
the people. Look at verse 19. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, He will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after He's been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua. We will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Joshua takes the opportunity to remind them that God is a holy, just, and righteous God. Now, if they, if they serve him, he's going to bless them. But if they renege on their end of the covenant, there will be a high price to pay. And of course, that's the promise he's been making them all along. Hey, worship me only. Serve me. I'm going to bless you. Bless you beyond all imagination. But if you deny me, rebel against me, there will be consequences for your choices. So verse 19 is a reminder to us that while God's a God of love and, and of grace and of mercy, He's also a holy and righteous God. He won't tolerate sin in the lives of His children. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 explains to his readers that, that God disciplines His children. But He disciplines His children for a reason. A father disciplines his children because he loves them and because he desires for them to, to walk in holiness and righteousness. That was the end result of the discipline that Christians would endure. So, so far we have observed the resolve of the people. We've seen a reminder for the people. But I also want you to note the reaction of the people. Look at verse 24. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey Him. So the people responded by just getting down to business and serving the Lord. Then in verses 25 through 27, we find that a covenant was created. And that they had, uh, they and Joshua together set up this memorial, uh, a record of their decision. And this record would be used to hold them accountable to keep their promise to say, I will serve the Lord and no other. Of course, that raises a big question for you and I today. I mean, the, the big $64,000 question is, is the Lord your choice? Does He have to compete for your time, for your attention, for your talents, your love, your money? You see, if you had to rank God on a list of priorities in your life, where would he end up? See, like those Israelites listening to Joshua's farewell message, don't you think it's time for us to make up our minds? I mean, if the Lord is God, serve him. You see, a Christian that refuses to live for, for the Lord, that's a pretty poor ad advertisement for the Lord Jesus Christ. But a life that's lived in his power and in his victory, man, that is a, a stunning and powerful endorsement indeed. It brings glory to the only one who deserves it. 
You see, the person who is truly sold out to God is going to make much of Jesus, both in word and in deed. I want you to listen to these words. Some years ago, a young man penned these words. He said, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, love with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of adversity, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Those words were written by a young African pastor in 1980 from Rwanda. His tribe had demanded that he make a choice, either choose God or choose their way. He chose God. He wrote these words the night before he was martyred. They killed him on the spot because he chose Jesus. God, may your children have the same sort of courage and commitment to Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and this commitment doesn't make a lot of sense to you because maybe you're not a child of God. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe the reality of who Jesus is just hasn't struck you yet. The reality of what he's done for you. The reality of what he desires to save you from. And so you've never arrived at that crucial moment of decision and truly trusted Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Maybe. Maybe you're a victim of cultural Christianity. Like a lot of us, you grew up in the buckle of the Bible belt. 
You've been going to church all your life. That's right. When you were young, you had a drug problem. Your mama drug you to church on Sunday morning. She drug you to church on Sunday night. She drug you on Wednesday. That's been your life. It's your culture. It's your, your routine, your, your support group, your social club. But maybe you've been sitting in a pew for years without ever actually having surrendered your life to Christ as a true act of faith in Him. A tear among the weeds, among the wheat. A tear is a weed. A weed among the weeds. Now here's the thing. Everyone, every single one of us has to make a decision about Jesus. Is he Lord or is he lesser? Are you one of those people that's with him or against him? One of those receiving or rejecting? One of those crowning or crucifying? One of those on the road to heaven or on the road to hell? Everyone must choose. Now, God created you with free will, so you have the freedom to make your own choice. So you're free to decide, but you're not free not to decide. Because if you put off this decision, if you say, you know, I'm not going to make that decision now, you've already made a decision. That's a slap in the face of a holy God. That's a rejection of Jesus Christ. So the big question is, will you choose to make him your Lord and Savior today. If you do, I'm telling you, your life is going to change. In Christ, there is a peace, there is a joy that nobody can take away from you unless you let them. A peace that passes all understanding as Paul describes it. There's assurance there that you belong to Him that your place in heaven is secure, that you have real relationship with God. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.